This is the Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Hey everyone, Patrick Donahoe here. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast is the Wealth Standard Radio. I have in studio my good friend and one of our advisors here, Ryan Lee. Ryan, what's going on, man? Hey guys, excited to be here with you. It's been a while since I've been on the podcast. I'm excited to be talking to uh, Paradigm Life Nation today. <laughs> Paradigm, <laughs> the Wealth Standard Nation. Uh, I'm going to start off the podcast by reading a, reading a quote that I got, uh, I got this morning. And this will go into the theme of our podcast today. It says, everyone has something they can do. Whatever means you have to make the world a better place, you need to do it. And then it says something that I actually disagree with. It says, even if we won't see the fruits of this in our lifetime, start now. So I disagree with that a little bit, and I'll, and I'll explain why. But in the end, there's something I believe in. It's called the law of compensation. And Ralph Waldo Emerson is really who popularized this. And we talk about, talk about it a lot yeah. in, in our business. And we talk about the more you can do, the more you can create, the more value you can give to somebody, the more you're going to be compensated. Now, that compensation is not always financial, right? There's all sorts of ways in which you're compensated. But I believe that it's a law. I believe that if you put something out there, if you create value, if you give, you're going to get something back. Always. Always. And it could be immediate. It could be from directly from the the recipient of that value, but it could be from a completely other other vantage point, right? Com- completely out of left field or right field. And it happens over and over and over again. So the theme of our podcast today is really talking about uh, your greatest asset. Now, we spend a lot of time talking about investments, we're talking about financial products, and they have a massive part. They, they play a huge role in a person's finances. But in my opinion, the biggest asset that you're ever going to have is yourself. And most people don't consider that. And I think the traditional financial advice that's out there doesn't even talk about that because it's contrary, right? Basically, the financial advice that's out there is give me your money. I'm going to invest it because I'm smarter than you. Turn your mind off. Turn Let your mind people off. people do it for you because you can't <laughs> handle it yourself. It was amazing. I, was, I, I, listened, to, uh, I listened to a quote. I'm not listening to a quote. I saw a quote by Warren Buffett. And he says, something's wrong when Rolls Royces pull up to Wall Street and have investors in there. And they're giving money to people that show up on the subway. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, and that's the thing. Is it's, it's, we're in a completely backward society. Yeah. And, and I think even the most successful people um, are not, I wouldn't say deceived, but have been misled thinking that, you know, there is this magical place, this magical kingdom of investments and returns and financial products and tax qualified plans that somehow are going to increase your wealth, uh, make you better off, create more financial freedom, create more financial certainty. And it's doing the complete opposite. There's proof over and over and over again that that continues to occur. So why, I mean, just frankly, I mean, we, we've prepared a little bit for this podcast, but you coming from, you know, just the, the traditional business world, why? why? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I always ask myself that question. But at the same time, I get caught up caught up in stuff, right? I, I drink Red Bull every once in a while. I know it's not like the best best thing for me. It gives right? you wings though, it right? Gives me, it gives me wings. <laughs> Did you hear about that loss? Like, there's, there's a lawsuit oh. where somebody sued Red Bull because they didn't grow wings yeah. by drinking Red Bull. And didn't they try to fly? And they jump won. Off I think they won. They tried, yeah, jump off a roof. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> But that's the thing is I think, you know, at the end of the day, human beings are, you know, we, in a sense, we're rational because we can logically process, uh, we can constructively think through things, 
but I would say the majority of decisions that we make are, are emotional, right? So, so maybe let's talk through kind of the, the why behind people involved in the market, people involved in this idea that putting money into this, you know, magic kingdom, this magic box is somehow going to create financial freedom for them. Well, you know, and I've, I've thought about that many, many times in my life as well, because I, I took a very traditional route, as you know, right? And I went to college and the only thing I went to college for was to get a job. That's all I heard. I mean, when I very first got yeah. into college, you, you sit down with a college counselor and they tell you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Exactly. Do you want to be an accountant, a doctor or whatever it is? And you go to school specifically for that. Mm -hmm. And I, I've I've re I've reenacted replayed what happened post graduation for for me many times. I remember sitting down with my first job, my first uh, employer, and I sat down with my HR professional, <laughs> right. And on day one of my hiring, I was filling out all of my new hire paperwork, my address, my health insurance, all of that kind of stuff. And in that packet was my financial future, my four hundred one k. How do I want to allocate my funds? Yep. I had no idea. I had no idea what I was investing in. I was never taught that. I was never trained that mm -hmm. in school. I never learned anything about that. And so the system was set up for me to relinquish control to someone else. Yeah. And in order for me to take that back, I needed to make a completely different shift in my life yeah. of taking responsibility. Yep. And the th funny thing is, it's like that HR person, who are they trained by? Right. And who trained that person? Who trained the person above them? And the 401k, it's who who trained the person to set that up for the specific company. Yeah. Right. And who sets up the salesperson of the 401k? Who te who teaches them? It's interesting if you just you kind of backtrack and go through the layers of why things are the way that they are. It all comes from this, you know, I, I guess, master influencer, which could be uh, the IRS, it could be the government, it could be uh, the corporate world. And they're in, the, I mean, they hire employees to make themselves and their shareholders money, right? And the IRS is out there to create revenue for the government because they spend a lot of money. So the idea is you can always source anything that is in existence, right? There's always a source to something. There's a source behind technology. There's a source behind bottled water. There's a source behind, you know, this microphone. There's a source behind where everything has come from. So source what, source what you're doing financially, okay? Why, why was it created? Where did it come from? Why would it? Why would somebody be interested in setting something like that up? And you're going to find that the individuals, the groups, the businesses, the companies that set that up did it for their well-being, yeah. not necessarily for the well-being of those participating. Well, and if we source this back, I mean, let's just take a few steps back in history, right? I mean, back in the 1970s, 1980s, and even the 1990s, the majority of people relied on pension plans to find benefit plans from their employers. And so the employer was taking the risk to provide retirement for their employees, yep. right? The, the model was you go to work, you work for X amount of years, and then when you retire, you're going to be taken care of by your employer, and then it'll be supplemented by your savings by Social Security, but it was primarily on the responsibility of the employer. Yep. That shifted when employers no longer no longer wanted to take that risk, and they transferred it to employees. Hmm. The government got involved, right? And they said, "Okay, you can't do this. You're not smart enough to do this yourself. <laughs> you're you're not yeah. you're not an asset." Yep. And so they took over the you know that's where these defined contribution plans came in, and from that point on. And, and, and I think back, if we go back into history, defined contribution plans, they were okay in the beginning because from 1975 to 1999, mm -hmm. the market only went good. up. It's only, it only went up and there yeah. were slight downturns. And so all you had to do yeah. is just put money in yeah. and it was okay. Yeah. In this new century, that is completely different. But here's the thing. It's like, I, I look at that time period and you're right, it went up, but why did it go up? Why does anything go up in price or go up in value? 
it's because of supply and demand. Good, good point. Right? There. I mean, because of that, so much money was coming into the system that it, obviously was going to go up. Exactly. Because where was the money going before, right? The employers were putting money into pension plans. The pension yeah. plans were not in the market. Yeah. Right. Pension plan. Now, there's a lot of pension plans that are tied to the market now, but back then they weren't. Yeah. Insurance companies were, for the most part, those that ran those pension funds. But now you have the shift, as you talked about, and now you had this huge influx of money going into the market because now people were, I don't get a pension plan. I need to prepare. I need to start saving more. Yeah. So more money going in and and there's only a finite amount of shares and stock and so forth. Of course, prices are going to go up, right? And you have the biggest demographic in history, which is the baby boomer generation, that was putting money in there. So you have this, and they were at the prime of their careers. So it's interesting. It's kind of like what came. For, it's like chicken and the egg, right? Did the returns? It, was it awesome because you know people were putting money into four hundred one ks and they were achieving returns? Yeah. Or was the fact that the four hundred one k started to exist is the reason why those returns started to, to come to fruition and started to be so high? Yeah, you got it. I mean, cause and effect, and, and you know, all the while with with all of that that money going into the market, there was a lot of greed by Wall Street. And and a lot of that has come evidence, you know, in the in the last 10, 15 years with documentaries years. and things like that. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, people today, they they have all of the burden of responsibility for their financial future mm-hmm. squarely on their shoulders mm-hmm. with very little preparation to handle it. Very little at all. I mean, yep. you know, I went to school for six. Well, I went to college. I got a master's degree in finance, but I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> in my 401k. <laughs> well, here's the thing is what we teach is you don't need to know anything about finance, yeah. right? You're not going to master the game. There's only a few people that are in that Wall Street realm that actually make make a good amount of money, and they're they're not they're not the ones that are buying target date mutual funds. Yeah. They're not the ones buying ETFs. They're the ones actually setting all of it up. Those are the ones that really kill it. So, so the, the kind of the purpose behind this podcast this morning is to talk about okay, if if you're not going to invest and not be this master in finance, what are you going to do financially? So we obviously teach about you know the financial products that we set up, um, but we talk more more than just that. These are just areas where you're going to achieve the returns, but more return than you're going to receive in the market. Number one, and plus there's a huge amount of tax benefits associated with it, which helps to increase wealth even more. But it's not it's not necessarily. Uh, sexy, I would say. It's a very straight line, very historically proven type of financial product. But the idea is the utilization of that product is where we specialize in teaching people um, how to use that to create their financial freedom as opposed to a financial product doing it for them. Yeah. Right. So this idea and the quote that I gave in the beginning, which is, you know, everybody has something they can do, whatever means you have to make the world a better place, you need you need to do it. And you're going to get compensated for that. So that's where we bring in this idea of you as an asset, you essentially have a financial statement, right? So there's two parts of a, a, a what we call the human life value financial statement, right? You have income and expenses, assets and liabilities. Now, what's Kiyosaki's definition of, of an asset? Anything that puts money in your pocket. Creates income, puts money money in your pocket. You have specific interests, you have specific skills, talents, okay? But you also have weaknesses, right? Everybody, everybody's kind of born and acquire and go down this, you know, these, these different paths. That's why relationships are so valuable because they help compensate for a person's assets and, li- and liabilities, right? Or the, the disparity. So let's talk about human life value assets and how those create income, right? Now, most people would say, okay, let's start to list off your human life value assets, your, your degree, Right. For most people, they think that their degree is their number one asset. And I would I would argue that it is an asset. Okay. 
But what, why is a degree an asset? Not to say that it's the best asset, human life value, you know, the best human life value asset, but why is it an asset? Does it put money in your pocket? It does. I mean, it definitely does put money in your pocket. You know, whether it's the best asset, I, I could argue that a little bit because I went sure. through the whole system, right? Yeah. And I paid a lot of money for that asset. Um, but yes, that, that degree puts you in front of the right people, puts you in the right opportunities and gives you an opportunity to translate that degree into future income in some type of profession. Absolutely. And that's, I, I, think, I think for the for most part, part, that is that the is number, number one, one asset, asset people have right now yeah. is, is, is their degree. degree. Is it is the education, education behind the degree? degree? Probably oh, not no. because a lot of that education is irrelevant right. once you graduate right. because of how quickly society is progressing. But nonetheless, that piece of paper, that document is still, is still an asset. And, and I would I even would argue, argue that, that for us, us like I've, I have a, I have a degree, you have a, degree, you have a master's degree. These, these, these degrees are even still valuable for us because society has come to this social agreement that unless you have a degree, you're not credible. And it's hard. And now you can, you can banter back and forth and justify if it's worth having a degree or not. Um, but at the end of the day, it's really the, the perception. And if a person has a degree, they're deemed more credible. And to suddenly eradicate that idea from society, it, it's going to take a long time. And I don't think it's going away anytime, anytime soon. So having a degree, I still think is, is valuable, right? For sure. Because at the end of it all, you're going to probably learn more. The, the instant you start to graduate and get into the real world. You're going to learn more probably within six months than you learn the entire time. But I, I still feel that a degree will will be a valuable asset. Even though, I, yeah, it's, it's kind of like I've always kind of gone back and forth. I'm like, do I want my kids to go to school? Do I want, do I want to pay for college? And at the end of it all, you know, it, it is still an asset to them. And the perception is, is oftentimes reality. You got it. And, and, you know, I think one of the things that we focus on and we emphasize so much with our clients is the, the fact of education, you know, the consistent, continual education. And I remember when I when I got done with college, I was so brain dead. I was so tired of having information that I didn't need or want yep. in many cases crammed into my mind only so I could regurgitate it on a test and then yep. walk away. Yep. I, I, I recall very little of what I actually learned in college. But once I got out of college and I had some of my time back, mm -hmm. Man, I, I developed such a love for learning and reading and really trying to learn new principles. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it really education can be done in an in a institutionalized format where you can walk away with a paper and say, hey, I've got this paper. I did what I need to do now. I need a job, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I think the, the, real, the real crux of it here is many people, once they leave college, stop learning. Yeah. Right? And they, well, they, it's proven. It is. It is. And, and so – you you you're diminishing you the asset by stopping learning. Yep. And my and that's where that is the time. I mean, because at the end, getting a degree is is an asset. Mm -hmm. Okay. That piece of paper, going through all the rigmarole of getting an getting that you know education, it probably is irrelevant to your to your job, your profession, what you're going to be doing. But that piece of paper is an asset. Once you have that asset, you need to leverage that asset. But by now, understanding the information that is really needed to be valuable to an employer. Yeah. Now, are we saying to, to all of our, you know, when we meet with clients, do we say, listen, you, go, you need to go be self-employed. You need to quit your job. You need to go out and be an entrepreneur. No, we don't, we don't, we don't do that. That's, that's a, it's oftentimes risky. Some personalities, for sure. And we work with a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of you know self-employed individuals, a lot of business owners. But at the end of it all, an employee would you tell someone to do that? No, probably probably not right away. So what do you what do you tell an employee 
that has a degree that is being paid by their employer, how are they going to maximize their human life value asset column? Like what are some things that they can do to take that asset and create more income out of it? Well, number one, it's realizing that they do have power. They have the ability to control that. And, and too oftentimes we're, we're, we're blinded into saying, okay, whatever money we earn, we're just going to stick it in a 401k and we're going to cross our fingers. And most people have a financial plan that's based on hope. Mm-hmm. They hope the market works out. They hope their fees are low. They hope taxes stay low. Hope, hope, hope. Yep. And so they're not in control of that. And so financial success has no... There's, there's no clear path to that. They don't know how to measure that or gauge that. So mm-hmm. a lot of times what we talk about is we start off with control. Mm-hmm. You need to take control over some of your – over your finances, yeah. right? And you, you've given us some good quotes. I'm going to give you a good quote from a, a great movie called Spider-Man. <laughs> 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 with great power – comes or with with great control or how does it go let's say with great power comes great responsibility and so we teach people about taking power taking control over their finances Mm -hmm. and in my opinion there is no one that will care more about the success of your financial plan than you you. for sure right and so we teach people how to transfer their money Mm -hmm. from a place that they have no control over the outcome to a place that they do have control over the outcome Mm -hmm. and with that control it opens up limitless possibilities so you're you're talking about uh you know if you're working as an employee and then using the system, mm-hmm. that's where I started. You remember when we met seven years ago, mm-hmm. right? I sat down in front of you as a compensated employee with a master's degree, mm-hmm. and you taught me how to take control of my finances. Mm-hmm. And I took that money and I went out and I put it into a policy, and mm-hmm. then I went out and I started using it to invest in real estate. Yep. I, I I invested in my own education because it's not about how much money I made; it's mm-hmm. about how much money I keep and, yep. and what I do with that money. And that's what this system teaches people. And that's a big thing. You're hitting a lot of a- good of good points which was what i really wanted to get into today because the idea of what you've done over the last seven years i mean you you were in that employee mindset right you had you had the degree but then for because you only started working you coming you're being an advisor two two years ago two, two and a half years, years ago. ago yeah two so what were you doing between 2007 or 2008 and and that point i mean you you essentially went out and you started to invest and you also built a, a website. You created a call center. I mean, you did a lot, a lot of things that are atypical of of employees, right? And that is basically taking your, you know, your mind and you as an asset and creating more income out of it. And as you were talking about, you know, contributing to a four hundred one k, contributing to this, you know, long term type of financial plan. What we're trying to say is that you you look at what creates the money that produces that contribution to a 401k you do right you have assets in your human life value asset column that are valuable to your employer okay and that employer pays you for it so if he pays you for your value wouldn't it make sense that if you can create more value you get paid more absolutely so that's what we're trying to say and it may not be directly from the employer but think about it i mean think about your profession think about your job and how could you be more valuable to your employer maybe you have a really old you're working a really old school business and it's been around forever it's been established what if you took the you know seventeen thousand dollar max contribution to the 401k that you were making and you invested in yourself and did a course on social media or email marketing or search engine optimization, and you learned a lot about that, and then went to your employer and say, and coming up with a business plan. Listen, I've I've learned all of this. If we did this, 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 and this, if we set up a Facebook page, if we set up a landing page, if we set up an email campaign, if we started to create a database of all of our clients, we could increase revenue of this company by twenty five percent this year. 
What if you what if you went and did that? And it may cost seventeen thousand dollars to have that education. But what if your employer gave you a raise of twenty thousand dollars a year? Yeah. Right? That is that is more than a one hundred percent return on investment. You put seventeen thousand dollars into your four one K, maybe you get a ten percent return. Okay, that you can't use for years into the future. But what if you took that same amount of money, invested in yourself, invested in increasing your education, which subsequently increased your salary, increased your revenue, and you know gave you a hundred percent rate of return? I love that. I mean, in finances, all the time we're talking about compounding interest, right? And you want to have your money in a place where it's going to consistently grow and compound. The same goes for human life value and knowledge. That knowledge that you gain, if you go out and take those courses that you just talked about, that will have a residual compounding effect that will ripple through the rest of your life. If you learn skills and tools that you can that you can use inside of your employment or even use on the side, right? I mean, we, we talk all the time to, to people who are working in a job and talk to them about how to set up a side hustle, right? Do something on the side to generate more income. And that that those those skills and knowledge, your human life value, also has a residual compounding effect. And the thing is, if you and that's where you know again, there's no there's no secret formula to, to this, um, but that's when you you go out and figure out a way. I mean, you, you have control of your job in a sense, right? Because you're getting paid for a specific thing. You can improve the value that you create. Yeah. But if it's if like the example I use, if it's valuable to your employer enough for them to give you a raise. It's going to be valuable to somebody else as well. Yeah. Now, looking at seventeen thousand dollars, you know, doing those type of courses, nowhere near that that type of cost, right? It's a lot cheaper than that. But what I would, you know, what I would, uh, what I would recommend to people that are listening is look at look at how many online courses there are, uh, whether it's through iTunes University, um, and there's a few others. Shane, do you want to pull up, uh, maybe pull up like a what's the main website that does e, the e learning stuff? Can you find that for me and tell me? It, it's uh, so Udemy, Udemy is one. There's this other one too. I mean, there's uh, a lot. There's Audible. There's there's all kinds. Yeah, of there's different all, the audiobooks I think. But yeah, Udemy has some really actually. You know, Udemy does have some really cool courses on YouTube. Coursera. Coursera. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. So so looking at you know these different these different websites, right? There's all sorts of ways in which you can educate yourself. You can go into iTunes University and take you know classes from Stanford or classes from MIT or classes from Harvard for for free. Yeah. Now they're not going to give you credit for that, but at the same time, look at look at what you're learning. And it's not necessarily the fact that you're learning, but you need to figure out a way to take the asset that is now on your balance sheet and create income out of it, well, not make it a dormant asset. Yeah, and you mentioned, I mean, they're not going to give you credit for that, but what are you really shooting for? What is the purpose of education? It's not to get that that piece of paper that you hang up on your wall. It's dollars follow value or vol- value follows value. So mm-hmm. if you learn a skill, and, a skill and a tool that you can provide value with to someone else, there will always be compensation through, yep. you know, remunerated value. It's going to come back. Back to you. Yep. So looking at the human life value asset side, that's one thing. And I think maximizing that asset, we, we're, we can give examples all day long and we can spend the whole podcast on just that side. But I think the, and this, I still struggle, struggle with this is your liability. Okay. Liability side, your human life value liabilities, right? So you have human life value assets, human life value liabilities, assets, put money in your pocket, Liabilities take money out of your pocket. But let's talk about leverage. Why why do you leverage uh, real estate? Why why would you take a loan, okay, and put in a liability on your on your uh, balance sheet and acquire an asset with that? Like why why would you do that and, instead of just acquiring the asset? 
That's a good question. I mean, leverage, it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? It can work really well for you, but it can also be just as detrimental. And so it requires you to, to go into a leveraged situation with education, knowledge, and expertise. And you can minimize risk through all of those things. So in real estate, it's a great example. If I went out and I took a loan and I knew nothing about what I was doing in real estate, I would really be taking on a liability, right? Now, that liability, I can fix that and it, it goes out for a period of time and maybe real estate will help me fix that over time. But the way I can use leverage to my gain, to my to my benefit, mm-hmm. is if I know what I'm doing and I know what kind of property I'm looking for and I know what the metrics that, that determine success, mm-hmm. I can bring a small amount of resources to the table. Let's just call it a down payment, yep. right? Let's say I bring 20% down yep. and I'm going to leverage the rest. Yep. What that bank is doing or that group that's going to provide me the the, the loan, they're they're using my down payments to secure the loan and then they're going to be a partner with me on the loan and they're going to take the majority of the capital that's required mm-hmm. and fund the loan for me. And the, the benefit of that is if, if I didn't use leverage, if I didn't use a loan, I would have to come up with 100% of the purchase price to do that. Yep. And if I'm coming up with all of the resources, all of the things required to buy that property, what's the what's the likelihood that I'm going to be able to do that in any time, in any, you know, in a, in a profitable time it's frame? A, it's going to be a lower, a lower return. Lower return. And, and and factor in the 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 cost of time, right? Time. If it took me yep. ten years to save up to to buy a house, versus yep. if I could do it now with a small down payment and reap the benefits of a home now, that's the benefit of using leverage. So talk just briefly about the metrics, okay? That would determine why you would use leverage, and then I'll get into the example I want to use with the human life value side. So why would you? What metrics allow that transaction to be to be profitable? Yeah, so I mean, a couple of things that I look for in in a real estate deal for sure is I want to know what my cash on cash return is, right? So if I'm going to buy a property, I want to look at the the, the cash flow that I'm going to get above and beyond all expenses, including the cost of financing. So right? if, if so, if you're if you're if that income right that was coming in was less than the financing charge, would it make sense? No, no, yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, that, that's really that's a really quick, simple way to look at it. Is my income that's coming in consistently coming in once I've factored in all expenses, mm-hmm. you know, pers- known expenses and unknown expenses. You want to factor in with real estate, especially. There's yep. going to be things that are going to come up. Tenants are going to skip town. Refrigerators are going to break. My air conditioner broke in my home last night. It was a hot night last night. <laughs> things happen, right? Yeah. And uh, so you want to factor those in. And once you've got, got a really good uh, a really good system on how you factor in costs. Mm-hmm. If you know that the property that you're buying, the cash flow that's coming in on a monthly basis is above and beyond, mm-hmm. you know, that a 10, 15% cash on cash return, if it's above and beyond all of your expenses, then it makes sense to use leverage because I can buy the home now, I can cover my cost of financing and I can still be profitable. So here, and so here's the thing is the leverage, the money that you borrowed, mm-hmm. essentially the liability you took on was somebody else's asset. Mm-hmm. Right, bank asset, the people that gave the money to the bank, et cetera, somebody else's asset. You use that asset to create more than what it cost you. Right. Right. So the idea of leverage, leverage is essentially doing more with less. Right. So Archimedes, you give me a raw or a, a stick in a fulcrum and to, to rest it upon and you lift the whole world or something like that. Right. So it's doing more with less. So the idea behind human life value is you have we we have weaknesses, right? I have weaknesses. I have a lot of strengths, I have a lot of weaknesses. So oftentimes, instead of a person really focusing on their strengths, focusing on their talents, what do they focus on? Weaknesses. They focus on their weaknesses. Right. How do I make my weaknesses strong? I mean, it's like this, and I, I really argue with that because I think you can make weaknesses, some weaknesses strong, but there's a lot of weaknesses that they're, that's just the nature of things. That's right. who you are. 
but there, but that weakness is as another person's strength. So how do you basically take the time you have during the day, which is finite for everybody, figure out what are the best uses of your time and your abilities and your talents and put all the emphasis there and then pay for, okay, the things that you do not like to do, that are a waste of your time, that are energy drains, okay? And that in and of itself will create more income because essentially you're spending time doing what you love, which is inherently going to create more money. And then you delegate and it might cost you something, but it might delegate uh, to somebody that is a strength. So I'll give you an example. Like how, uh, and this is poor because we, we moved a number of months ago and I started actually doing my lawn because it's smaller than it was before, but I would pay somebody to do my lawn, Okay. And I'm and I yeah I should pay them right now but I don't I kind of like how doing it sometimes like getting on the mower and yeah turning off sure a bit sure <laughs> but the idea is this is just an example the idea is okay it might cost you thirty bucks a week right hundred hundred fifty dollars a month to to not mow the lawn okay but that is an hour now that you have free so if you can take that hour and read a book or do a home study course or make some calls or reconnect with people build yourself on the internet through a network. If you can take that hour and focus on something that you enjoy, something that is going to actually increase your, your assets, right? Now you can pay somebody and you're going to make more money with the time you spent doing that as opposed, you know, than uh, what it costs you to pay the person to, to mow your lawn. Yeah. So that's just a simple, very simple example. Let's take it back to real estate and I'll give you an example in, in my life, right? We live in a very DIY society, right? And especially in real estate. I mean, you can turn on HGTV and Everything. watch all kinds Everything. of DIY stuff, right? And so when I first got into real estate, I thought I was the DIY guy, right? And I thought I'm going to do it all myself. I'm going to find my property. I'm going to manage my property. I'm going to fix all the, the stuff. Yep. And uh, I bought three properties really early on in my real estate career. And I was at the verge of quitting, 100% <laughs> quitting because I realized very quickly I suck at real estate. I'm no good at fixing toilets and I'm even worse at dealing with my tenants. I am such a pushover that when my tenants would call me up and say, hey, Ryan, I'm not going to pay you any rent this month because uh, my, my kid tripped and they broke their foot. And I would say, you know what? Your kid broke their foot. Don't pay me rent. Let me pay it for you. <laughs> oh, and this would go on month after month after month after month. Yeah. And so my cost was I was in the way of my real estate being successful. I was completely in the way of my real estate being successful. And only when I decided to step in and hire a competent professional to do the job that I could not do very well myself. Yes, I paid them money, but I my, my real estate portfolio all of a sudden became profitable. I started making money. And yes, I was paying someone to do something, but they were getting me out of the way, which enabled everyone to be profitable in that situation. And only when I got out of the way, did I was I able to be successful in real estate and I focused on what I do well which is identifying good properties and setting up a system for doing it over and over but I'm not a good property manager and if I were to stay in that position I probably would not be in real estate right now because I I'm just a horrible property manager. Don't rent a property for me. Well, I guess do it if you wanna if you wanna get free rent. Well, I told so I told this story before and it's, again it hits on this hits on this example with with real estate because when we when when I when I first got married, we we lived in a little you know a little a little fiveplex, but it was owned by a friend of mine's dad, who's a big big real estate investor. And so it intrigued it intrigued me. This is right when I moved to Salt Lake, and I you know I I had read you know Rich Dad Poor Dad, and was graduating from from school and wanted to pursue you know this alternative approach to finance. And uh, and so there's you know we we bought a duplex about eight months after we were married. And it was the same thing. I was a total DIY. 
And this was at the time when Extreme Home Makeover was super popular. Yeah. So I was like, holy crap, these guys can like build a whole house in a, in a week. I can do, I can like do a bathroom in a day. Right. So I, I decided, yeah. So I decided to, to try to rip out our bathroom um, and, and remodel it within a day. And I had never done this before. Yeah. Right. But I saw, you know, Extreme Home Makeover, you know, Ty, what's his name? Uh, Pennington. Yeah. If he, if that crazy guy can do it, I can, I can do Get it. Get your tool belt and you're good to go. Right. Literally. So we, oh man, it was, a, it was a disaster. And so that we, it had like a, and my, and Cynthia still gives me crap for this to this, to this day, but there was this cast iron tub, right? And uh, cast iron tub and it was in, in the bathroom and, and I thought it was outside of the framing, but it was inside of the framing. Oh my gosh. So I was like taking this sledgehammer to it and then Cynthia was trying to like pull it out and she cut, like she cut herself really, oh, really wow. bad and that had stitches. And uh, so anyway, it was, it was a disaster. We ended up breaking the drain pipe and I thought it was going to be done in a day. It took like three months to, oh. do, to do it. So we had to like take a shower at our, cause it was a duplex. Like we live in the lower half. We run it out the top half. So we had to use the tenants shower. We had to use our neighbor's shower. It was this old, you know, 80, 85 year old, um, German, German lady. It was, a, it was a disaster. So yeah, I learned early on that, uh, yeah, it was totally not worth taking on that responsibility when it could have been delegated to somebody whose asset it really was. And we forget that. I mean, it kind of goes back to that dollars follow value, value follows value. If someone else can do that job, if they can come in and remodel your bathroom literally in a day and do a great job and you pay them a thousand dollars or 1500 or whatever it is, Yes, that was a cost out of your pocket, but what was the value that that cost bought, bought, you know, bought you? It bought your three months back. Yeah. It gave you the day to do something else, whether it's spending it with your family or creating you know, value in the business that, yep. that you're good at. Better relationship for with sure. my life. <laughs> for sure. I mean, and that, that's what it's all about. And I think yeah. we, we lose that sometimes, and especially in the investment world, right? We, we lose that because we're unwilling or un, un, and many times we, we just don't know that we're, we're, we're offsetting our risk to someone else mm-hmm. who doesn't have our best interest in mind. I mean, I never met my 401k manager. I just checked a couple boxes on a piece of paper and crossed my fingers and hoped that that was retirement for me. But you, you, we really underst- we need to understand where value is going, what we're putting into it, and what we're expecting in return. Okay, so a couple, a couple of lessons, then we'll get to, uh, to one more thing, and then we'll end, end for today. So let's, let's, let's summarize what we've been talking about. We're talking about our... Uh, the assets in our human life value balance sheet are the things that we're good at yeah. um, or could potentially be good at that we could incorporate into our the time we have during the day to create more to create more income you're all in the end there's only so much time you have and so investing in assets okay like a piece of property like a business or or, or something else that is still part of the overall you know plan but in the but end, end, if you don't you maximize, maximize your number one, one asset first, which is you, yeah. then th- there's really no business focusing on that other other stuff. Because you're like I gave you an example before, a hundred percent rate of return. You're not going to achieve that in any type of investment for the long run. It's it, it's never it's never happened. Yeah. Right. And so looking at the control you have over yourself, control you have over your education, it is the easiest hundred percent rate of return you can ever make. So that idea is maximizing who you are, what your talents are, maximizing that side of the balance sheet right now and investing money in yourself to to do that. It could be with your employer. It could be with a side business. Okay. There's a variety of different examples for that. The other part of this, making a summary, is the liability side. You have weaknesses. There's stuff that you are not good at. And focusing on that is preventing you from maximizing the asset column. So if you can figure out a way to establish relationships so that people can offset 
the, the things that you have to do, but maybe you're not good at, they can now do it and you can pay them for that. That is ultimately going to create more money, more money for you and allows you allow you to exercise the, the assets in your human life value asset column. To really step in your power, right? And yep. do what you are really good at. I, I believe each one of us have unique skills, abilities, and talents. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to be good at everything. And we shouldn't try to be good at everything, right? But if we focus on what we are good at, and as you mentioned, offset the liabilities, you're going to bring so much more value to yourself. But probably more importantly, you're going to be so, bring so much more value to other people because your talents help other people. Your talents are the weaknesses that other people have. And, you, you know, we can constantly exchange that value one, one with another. No, excellent point. Excellent point. So, all right. So the right, last, so last thing I wanted, I wanted to, to focus on is uh, a couple months ago, I, re- I, I just came up with an idea of, of a marketing, a marketing idea. And marketing idea was essentially just a, an article that uh, is called the Billionaire Playbook. And so I wrote this, I wrote this article and it's very, very simple, but the idea was what, what is an equation? What are the things that billionaires consistently do? And of course, if billionaires are doing it, millionaires follow something to that extent. But I think it's, it's really, it's really easy. So if you want a copy of this article, um, you can email us at podcast at paradigmlife.net and I will send you, send you that article. I want to get your feedback on it. Uh, but the equation that I came up with is this, to be a billionaire, you need a network. You need leadership, the skill of leadership. You need sales ability. You don't know how to sell. You have to have a team around you. You have to have a very good setup of goals. You have to do your power hour, which we're going to end with. Uh, you, your investments, the education behind your investments. That is what's going to create a billionaire. Okay. So what I want to focus on is not you know the, the network side of things, not the leadership side of things, not the sales side of things, not the team side of things, or goals, or even investments. I want to talk about power hour. And I know I'm kind of catching off guard because we didn't prepare for this. Um, but you and Brad read a, read a book uh, together morning. a few few months ago. And I've been impressed because you guys have stuck to it uh, since you read it. You guys are all, I'm, I was usually the one that was always here before anybody else in the morning, but you guys have beat me for, for months now. So why don't you talk about this, this idea of a power hour or the miracle morning and how that has helped improve the assets on your human life value asset column. Yeah, that that's sorry that's, for catching you. Off no, guard. no, that's really good. I, I'll tell you that it has completely changed this year for me. Um, and and I think the idea of a power hour is is dedicating time and space to something outside of the normal, right? Our lives are busy. And with everything that we do, whether it's in a job or in a family or whatever it is, our, our time can very easily be consumed, right? And unless we dedicate a, an, a, a set amount of time, a power hour, mm-hmm. to something that's, that's bigger picture, to something that's different, we'll never achieve any, any different results. And so this power hour idea is, is a way to kind of buy back your time literally, right? So this year we decided to start waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning. Every morning. Every morning, including Saturday and Sunday. And, every vaca- single and morning. when you're on vacation. And on vacation, yeah. So, I mean, we were out in Aruba two weeks ago. We still got up and everyone was joking with us because we were two hours off. They were saying, hey, you're waking up at 3 a.m., right? I mean, because we were two in a different time zone. But we still got up at that time because and, – and now, to be honest, in the beginning – it was hard, right? It was a it was a hard transition to make. It was hard to get out of bed. Five a.m. is early. It is early, <laughs> but now I now oftentimes I wake up at four thirty and I'm excited. And I'm ready to go. Wow. And, and and so anyway, what this power hour is all about? It's segregating and designating sacred time 
that is specifically focused on something bigger, something that you want to accomplish, something that you want to achieve, whether that's starting that side hustle, whether that's you know developing the plan that you're going to share with your employer, whatever it is, it's dedicating sp- focus-specific time to that and not let anything else get in that way. Not sleep, not technology, not emails, not text messages. It's dedicated time. And only by doing that will you achieve something different. And I've noticed that it, that also has a compounding effect, right? I mean, in the beginning, it was just trying to figure out what the heck we were going to do with this hour. What did we want to do? And then we, then you know, then we started figuring out what we wanted to do with it, and then we started creating. And that had an energetic compounding effect to where now there's so much momentum and energy that comes to that hour that is literally one of the best hours of my day in most days. So how? So outline outline the hours. So you get up early, mm-hmm. but what? So the the book is called the Miracle Morning. Yeah. Right. So what is what's the out? You know the rough outline of of that hour that you're spending in the morning. So in the book, there there he talks a little bit about some things that that we do a little bit differently. Um, for me, I, I really like to turn my body on before I turn my mind on. And uh, so I usually start off my, my morning with an exercise. And, and, and you, you were the one that taught me this, right? You taught me some really good exercising through CrossFit where mm. my body not only gets turned on, it gets beat up and destroyed. <laughs> but once my body's on, then my mind is on. Yeah. And uh, so once my body's you know, energetic and focused and good to go, then I sit down and with a very intentional format, um, oftentimes my, my power hour starts with some meditation, right? And I, I never really saw the value in meditation consistently over the long period because I would do it for a week and then, you know, I would get caught up in something else. And I'd do it for a week, six months later, and then I'd get caught up in something else. Only when I started dedicating this sacred, specific, focused time to it, have I started to feel the long-term residual impact of, of meditation. And meditation is nothing more than going internal and finding out what's important internally to you, right? Whether it's family, whether it's spiritual, whether it's intellectual, whatever it is, by, by turning off the noise and becoming silent, your your mind and your spirit and your 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 just your human life personality that who who you are is going to tell you what's important to you. So it starts off with meditation, and then for me, a lot of it's been business focus. It's been creativity focus. It's been things that I've wanted to do outside of my normal day to day routine. And by dedicating time and space to that, I'm making consistent progress on those goals every single day. Yeah, because it's a. You know, we only have so much, we only have so many days, right? You only have so much time. You only have so much energy. There's a finiteness about about human beings. And looking at the start of every day, it has a massive impact on every single day. If you don't start out right, then it's going to have a ripple effect through your entire day. And looking at our, our lives, our lives are lived in our mind, right? We perceive things and we think about things. And that's where we come to conclusions. That's where we create stigmas. That's where we create our paradigms and our perspectives. And looking at what, it go, what goes into our thinking, meditation is huge because you're right. There is a lot of noise out there, especially in our day and age. There's so much stimuli that our eyes are exposed to every single minute of the day. And I mean, look, rewind 200 years ago and, and think about what a person perceived every single day. It was hardly anything, right? The sun, the moon, the grass, cows, you know, maybe a, 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 a horse and buggy. <laughs> maybe not 200 years ago. That was like 100 years ago. Uh, but that's, that's what people experience, right? But look at what we experience today. Yeah. Meditation helps really ground your mind. It helps you think clearer and it helps you really define who you are 
what your objectives are, what your goals are. And it's been amazing for me. I've done it for, for years now, but it's amazing because it allows me to really step back and think, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And it helps make things simple and clear. But starting your starting your day the way that you are, are articulating is, is so powerful. And that's why, you know, part of this equation, and again, I'm not a billionaire, right? But I looked at, you know, a lot of what makes all of these guys successful. And I just came up with a simple equation. Again, it's a marketing piece. I'm not, you know, I, you know, I'm not going to, I'm putting a disclaimer on here that just because you follow the, the equation doesn't mean you're going to be a billionaire. The thing is following and, you know, incorporating these variables, which is network, leadership, sales, team goals, power hour, and investments is going to create more financial success than you have right now. So go, you can, yeah, again, email us, uh, podcast at paradigmlife.net and we'll give you a free copy of that article. Um, but Ryan, let's let's kind of end off end off today and any fi- final words of wisdom for our listeners? Yeah, you know, I think I think today we talked a lot about uh, you, the asset, right? And realizing that you really, you truly are the asset. You are the engine that drives everything in your life. And by not choosing to be the asset, you're still making a choice, right? So make a conscious choice that you are the asset. Take time to, to find some additional education, whether you log on to Audible or Coursera or iTunes or you reach out to Paradigm Life. There's many different places you can get education. Look for something that, that's valuable to you. Become educated on it. Become an expert on it. Maximize your talents, and value will always, always follow value. Okay, well said. Yeah, and I'll, I'll echo, I'll echo that by saying every everything that exists, all physical things that exist in life is a result of a human being, right? Our computers, our technology, the internet, radio, everything is a result of a human being or a, a group of human beings. So what does that say? It says that we can create amazing things that are valuable to so many people. If you yeah. believe that then really look internally and look at who you are, what you think about, what can you bring to this world and start to focus on educating yourself. And if you do that and if you figure things out that are valuable to others, you're going to get compensated for it. But here's the thing, you're going to get frustrated because there may be some things that you think are going to be valuable to somebody that aren't and you're not going to get paid for it. Okay, you need to be in a sense humble and say, okay, that's not valuable. I'm going to find another asset. If that doesn't work, I'm going to find another asset. That's the beauty is that we have this finite capacity to, to create our asset because we are literally, our brains are trillion, there's trillions and trillions of dollars up there. Yeah. Okay, proof is our economy is in the trillions, right? And that is a result of value being created in whatever capacity. So that being said, maximize yourself, maximize your asset. Thanks for listening this week, everybody. Uh, for, for more information about Paradigm Life, you can go to our website, paradigmlife.net. You can go and listen to, to past podcasts. We have a really cool YouTube channel with lots of different tutorials and education. We have an online le- e-learning platform that discusses what we do uh, as a business. Uh, it's absolutely free. So log on to our website and you can register for that. That's it for this week. Uh, send us your feedback. If uh, It would be super valuable. Go on to iTunes and uh, give us a rating if you like what you hear. And uh, love, we'd love to hear from you. So podcast at paradigmlife.net is the best way to get a hold of us. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial with your host, Patrick Donahoe. 